Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me on Sound Perspective. Once again, it's your host with the most, Alfred Faber, always bringing you the most talented directors, soundies, artists, and their interesting opinions on how they use sound in their film or art, whatever they do. Um, I really wish I had remembered to release this episode yesterday on International Women's Day because today's guest is easily one of my favourite currently working female directors. Uh, Mira Folks, she started as an actress in some really great Australian productions like Animal Kingdom and Top of the Lake. Uh, In 2012, she made her directorial debut with the short film Dumpy Goes to the Big Smoke Um, and a couple of years ago she was hired by Vice Studios to write uh, a kind of contemporary retelling of uh, the traditional Punch and Judy tale uh, which became the feature film Judy and Punch. Uh, It premiered at Sundance last year, got an Australian release, and I think it's about to start its American release in theatres. So, you know, any Americans out there, keep an eye out for it, go check it out. I went and saw it and was blown away. It's so good. I thought, I have to get this brilliant woman on the podcast. She was an absolute pleasure to chat to, such a lovely person. Um, And it's really nice to hear a director be honest about how difficult it is to direct your first feature film. Um, Anyway, here she is. Hope you enjoy. Also, please leave me a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform you listen to this on. Because I'd love to hear some feedback from you guys. Or follow me on Instagram, uh, Alfie Faber Sound. Uh, Enjoy. So, Mira Folks. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you. I was really blown away by Judy and Punch. Thank and you. I thought, got to get her on. Um, can you just give me like a brief intro of your career, where you started in film? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I started as an actor. I went to drama school at WAPA in Western Australia um, and studied theatre acting um, for three years. And then I graduated and ended up doing very little theatre. I just started getting work in film and TV um, predominantly. So I did that for kind of probably 10 years before the thought of even, or maybe eight years before the thought of writing and directing kind of even occurred to me. And then... I guess I was feeling I was I was um, I was doing okay. I was making a living. I was getting reasonable amount of work, um, but I just had gaps in between stuff, and I felt a bit frustrated about just how little control I had over my career, over what kind of work I was getting, and um, so I just decided to make a short out of curiosity more than anything. Mm. Um, my partner David Misho is a filmmaker as well, and. Um, you know, I was working a lot as an actor for, um, this collective Blue Tongue films, Mm. which is, um, David, uh, Nash and Joel Edgerton, um, Spencer Susser, who's an American filmmaker, um, Sean Cruck, another Australian, uh, Luke Doolan, 
and Kiranasi Smith, it, it, that kind of gang. So they were all, you know, my friends and, and, and peers, and I was acting in a lot of their short films. And um, I made a short called Dumpy Goes to the Big Smoke. and um, Loved it. Thank I you. loved it so <laughs> it's much. It's pretty odd. Yeah, I don't no, know. it was it, great. It, 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 don't even really quite know where that came from, but I just I just enjoyed it. It was mm. really loose and fun. I didn't have any kind of expectations of of needing to make something that was going to set me up in a career. So I guess like part of the um, you know part of the joy of that was that I could just be really loose and free, and I made it, and it it did well. It played at a, um, a bunch of festivals. It won a couple of awards, and it kind of facilitated um, me getting. I think the next step was I got some funding from Screen Oz to make my second one. Mm, Florence um, has left the building. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, a key thing that happened at that time was that um, Nash introduced me to Vice, uh, to a couple mm. of people in Vice um, that worked at Vice in LA, and um, they bought my first short to put on their short film platform. And then they kicked in a bit of money to make the to help me make the second one. And um, so I'd sort of was developing this working relationship with them. I went on to make an, a, another third fil- uh, short called Trespass, which I sort of made as a proof of concept for a feature that I thought I might maybe was wanting to make. Um, and then in the meantime, uh, Danny Gabay and Eddie Moretti, who were working at Vice at that time, approached me saying that they had this kind of in-house idea to make a film based on Punch and Judy. And um, they wondered if I was interested in writing it for them. So I sort of said yes and then spent a long time trying to figure out what a f- the film should be and trying to work out how how to write it and what it was. And, and that led to me making Judy and Punch as my first feature, which is sort of in a lot of ways an um, unlikely first feature. It's kind of pretty big and wild yeah, and ambitious for yeah, first film. Yeah. So it wasn't how I expected it mm, to play out, mm. but it was kind of great. It was mm. great to have Vice's support and backing and it was great to be able to take um, that money and bring it here and shoot the film here and cast mm. the film with all Australians. And um, that that as well was quite unexpected. I expected to make the film somewhere in Eastern Europe or maybe yeah. even the States, but mm. I, the last place I thought I would shoot was Australia. Well, you found that great castle. That was perfect mm. for it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like a cobbling together of a few different key locations yeah. down in Victoria and it's sort of um it was just enough to make it make sense, mm. you know? It was just we used every inch of every little kind of bit of bit of um stone building that we could <laughs> find basically. Yeah. <laughs> and some VFX to help us as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. That would have been a great way to transition into directing though, being an actor and being around um like film directors and producers and stuff like that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's quite a natural progression uh, a lot of time for actors to to them want to go on and direct. I think, mm. you know, one of the most difficult things about directing is knowing how to how to talk to actors and how mm. to get performance. And so you sort of feel comfortable around uh, around that aspect of it. Um, but definitely being it was very particular i think for me to being around that collective of of people yeah. and um you know i was very involved in the collective i was acting um in all the shorts at that stage but um and some of the features like animal kingdom but um 
it wasn't until I started directing myself that I was sort of officially invited into the group as, mm. as, as their first and only female member. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, and those guys I were an amazing support. Like even when I was questioning whether or not I wanted to be writing and directing, they were sort of like um, encouraging, but even more than that some, with some of them, I think particularly with someone like Nash um, Edgerton, he's, he's a really – He's a really great support, but almost to the point where he just sort of was bullying me. It was constant. It was like, when are you making another short? What are you making? When are you writing it? <laughs> Without that um, kind of being harangued by Nash, I probably yeah. wouldn't wouldn't necessarily have kept doing it. But but I did enjoy it more than I thought I would. And mm. there was something nice about feeling like I didn't have um, all my eggs in that basket. Mm. It was just like, I'm just going to test the waters out and see how it feels. And, you know, in, in some respect, it feels like it's kind of out of the frying pan into the fire is that mm, what they say like yeah. you know i'm replacing a really difficult profession with an even more difficult yeah. one <laughs> you know but um I, I certainly feel like i have more control now more yeah. creative control yeah. and and um a little bit more agency to mm. kind of do what i want to do as opposed to be kind of um you know swept around by the winds of whatever people are offering me so yeah that's, that's cool mm-hmm. like um i'm i'm always curious about actors transitioning to directing because it's kind of like going from uh, one side where you're just thinking about the dramatic intention and the performance and stuff like that and then you go to directing where you have to think about the cinematic aspect of it like the look and you know technical more technical things how did you find that transition uh, difficult uh, in part. I mean, I think in a way I was probably transitioning way before I was actually, um, um, directing per se. Like I, I would find myself on set, um, as an actor and particularly in jobs that weren't so engaging or I didn't have as much to do. And I would find myself just starting to kind of, um, become interested in what the various departments were doing. Yeah, and I was cool. paying more attention and I was finding I was going less back to my trailer to kind of read my book and I was staying on set and just sort of observing the camera department or, or, or sound department and mm. trying to learn um, that way once I started realising that I might like to have a go at directing. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting. Everyone comes from a different perspective. So, you know, I, I, there's a lot of really amazing directors that come from an editing background, um, for example, and they have an incredible ability to sort of to to um, bring that knowledge on, onto a set. Uh, you know, coming from an acting background, I think it's, um, like I said earlier, I think it's one of the hardest things and thing that can sometimes be really scary to a lot of directors or new directors is how to, how to approach actors and work with actors. I still don't feel like I'm any kind of expert at it. Like I'm often surprised at how how daunting it can be for me, even though I am an actor and even though I know how I like to be spoken to or how I like to be directed. Every actor is so different, so that's something that's really mm. kind of um, shifts and changes. Yeah. And then with the technical stuff, um, it was sort of daunting for me in a lot of ways, but then I sort of realised what was really liberating to me is realising that I actually don't have to know everything. I yeah. don't have to be a VFX expert. I don't have to be a camera expert even I um you know it's good to know as much about about every department as you can but what first and foremost I just need to know how to communicate what I want and how to communicate stories so you know that that was really liberating to go you know and you learn as you go I learned so much making Judy and Punch and I worked I did a lot of things that I'd never done before, um, you know, bigger set pieces, action stuff, stunt stuff, VFX stuff, I, all of that was new. Um, 
I think probably one of the most difficult transitions for me though was just knowing how to be on set, in, mm. in, particularly in like an emotional capacity. Mm. Um, I think as an actor, um, you're given a lot more room to um, be kind of emotionally volatile. Often it's it's demanded of you or expected of you um, when you we when you're in the work. But um, I think you you're kind of um, it's important that you that you're kind of given that sort of space as a director. You require, I think, quite a different presence on a set, and um, that was sometimes challenging for me. Like realizing that I wanted um, I wanted my crew and cast to trust me and respect me, but I also I also wanted to remain emotionally honest, and I wanted mm. to be able to say when I didn't know the answer to something. Yeah. And so it was that delicate balance of being like a fierce leader, but a, a, an honest fierce leader yeah, yeah. who sometimes would throw my hands in the air and go, "I need someone to help me here because I don't know the solution." Yeah, you know, so yeah. that was I think interesting. That's, I think that's so important. It really frustrates me it's usually a first time or pretty amateur director thing to just fake it till you make it like and And um, I totally get it you're terrified everyone's terrified I mean I'm sure Scorsese's terrified everyone is scared everyone thinks that they're kind of that they're making it up as they go along but um yeah in a way like the the first instinct is to pretend that you're not and and um I understand that instinct and and sometimes Mm. you need a little bit of that like Mm. you know I was determined not to cry too much on set (laughs) (laughs) especially on the first day because I just I imagine myself from the perspective of my cast or my Mm. you know um my crew looking at me and going oh shit she's crying already on day one surely she doesn't know what she wants I wanted them to trust me yeah but I also didn't want to pretend to to know things but that I it's, didn't know. yeah it's so important to be kind of humble about what you do know isn't it yeah mm. I think so yeah and that's a constant kind of delicate sort of journey mm. yeah. sometimes you get it wrong and yeah. sometimes you get it right I'd love to talk more about that but I just want to ask about your shorts first uh-huh. because I think they're such a good introduction to your style and they tie in with Judy and Punch really well, because I like Dumpy goes to the big smoke. Florence had left the building. Um, Trespass was a bit different in mm. in tone and style, I'd say. But um, in those, you've got this really strong kind of theme of like dark comedy slash dramas with these kind of aspirational characters that you feel a lot of sympathy for, like um, is it Dumpy and mm-hmm. the first one and Elvis the Elvis mm-hmm. character, mm-hmm. you just feel so much sympathy for them. Um, do you think that's like an accurate analysis? Like, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say it. I mean, it's yeah. certainly like it's it's intentional. Someone pointed out to me, actually a couple of people pointed this out to me and it's weird that I never picked up on it myself, but uh, after the shorts and then as well with um, with um, Judy and Punch in a lot of ways, they were like, what is it about, about you obsessing about characters that are desperately trying to escape yeah. some oppressive situation? And I was like, oh shit, this is like, <laughs> never, it's not intentional. It's certainly yeah. not me. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm trying to, uh, I don't feel like I'm reflected in those characters but maybe that's just I, I don't know you find yourself kind of um your voice develops or you're kind of you the, the 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 way you tell stories develops and for me at least that's never been um very intentional in in, in or premeditated in mm. it this is how I want my mm. directorial voice to feel it's just I'm, I'm trying to find a way to to tell these stories that mm. make sense to me so um did you have any big influences in direct 
directors? Um, I, I guess my influences are very varied and mm. broad, you know. Um, I, I never sort of felt like I wanted to make films like someone else. I mean, certainly with Judy and Punch, I was really determined to try and, and I'm sure in some part most filmmakers would say this, but really determined to try and make something that didn't feel like anything else. You know, yeah. I was really reluctant yeah. to, to, to give the this meets that kind of analogies whenever mm. I was pitching the film because I didn't want it to feel like anything meeting anything really. I just wanted it to feel new and yeah, weird and yeah. fun and whatever. But I did want, I, I was also really aware of the fact that I was trying to make a film that sort of felt um, in its structure like a throwback to a very kind of classic hero journey sort yeah. of thing. So I was leaning into the kind of to the kind of the commercial story beats in a really, um, I guess, art house sort of uh, Style, tone in yeah. a way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, I found it really interesting that uh, you were hired by Vice to write it, but you didn't think you were going to direct it. Is mm. that right? Yeah. Mm. Um, so, was there a moment when you realised you'd have to start thinking about the cinematic stuff, or were you thinking about, like, the tone and look as you were writing it, or were you just concentrating on the story? Um, I think just innately I was thinking about all of that because I wouldn't really know how to write it without thinking about that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I always write um, from a very visual perspective. I, you know, I... I've, I've learned this about myself that I also write from sort of a, a practical perspective as well, you know, mm. but there was something really liberating in the thought that I, I was just pretty convinced that Vice wouldn't let me out this thing because I hadn't made a feature before really? and it was obviously yeah. so big and sprawling yeah. and, you know, so while on one hand I was imagining how I would make it all the time every day when I wrote, mm. on the other hand, I was kind of thinking, oh, I can do anything here because someone else is going to have to deal with this. <laughs> and so I was a lot freer and looser, yeah. I think, than had I had I known, oh, in three years' time, you're going to be in Victoria trying to figure out how to shoot this sequence. Like, yeah. I just would never have um, written with that same sort of ambition if I had have that known That would have been so liberating. Yeah, yeah, mm. it was, actually. And Vice were really good because they were constantly just like, you know, fuck it, just do whatever you want to do and don't think about budget restrictions and don't think about this or that. We just want you to kind of um, go nuts with, with your take on it. Mm. So that... It's not very common to have a studio say <laughs> that to you. That's incredible. You know, First feature. Um, it was, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, and those man. guys were so, so kind of just so encouraging of my voice and constantly mm. pushing me to take it further. And, and that I think that was a very rare first film experience yeah. from what I can gather. That's so cool, though. Mm. Um, so why, why was it important? for you to have the historical setting be ambiguous. You talk about that a lot. Um, was it relevant to connecting um, to the themes of the film, like being mm. ambiguous in time? Yeah, in a way, I guess it was because I just wanted, I wanted the film to feel like a fable, like a yeah. fairy tale and like a kind of a revisionist fairy tale. Mm. Um, so... Uh, it was, it was first and foremost, it was that it was like this idea of, uh, I love the idea of a no particular time, no particular place in the way that a lot of filmmakers that I love sort of tend to do, um, as well, uh, in, in a non-specific way, but also it became then practical as well. Mm. So it, it, it meant that we could, I mean, there was no version of this film as a accurate historical piece that we could do for in Australia or for the money. So it was like, I love the idea of being able to take liberties and especially, 
you know, with language, with the visual style of it, just being able to make it up um, as as we went. But having said that, it was it was kind of firmly anchored in a very particular um, mm. time, not mm. so much place. It was sort of more of a generalized Medieval European, yeah, 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 like mid seventeenth century kind of Europe. Mm. Um, but um, so there were certain rules, you know. But um, but then there was a, a lot of rules that we broke, and mm. you know, uh, it just meant that I felt like every department was able to kind of. I, I, I wanted it to feel kind of loose and nuts in a creative way. Mm. And it felt to me like, like, um, allowing that wiggle room would, would place it sort of more firmly into a, a, a fable kind of, um, yeah. place, yeah. which was exciting to me. As opposed to just a period film. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Um, and I loved how the score reflected that because, you had not only this kind of playful Hansel and Gretel kind of uh, f- fable music, I guess, mm-hmm. um, but you had that, uh, your team made that kind of crazy EDM techno arrangements of uh, classical music and Baroque, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Vivaldi, was it Vivaldi? There's one of Bach them? in there. Bach, yeah, yeah, there's two Bach cues. Um, uh, I think that's it. Yeah. Um, but Frank Titas, man, he did an amazing job of that. Yeah. I mean, and that was really, I knew that whatever tone we landed on with our score, it needed to reflect the kind of absurdity and the peculiarity. And I yeah. wanted it to to kind of um, straddle lots of different musical styles. And I, you know, I could communicate all of that to Frank, but I'm not a musical person at all. And mm. I was quite nervous about mm. working with a composer for the first time because I was like, oh, shit, I don't know how to talk about majors and minors and all of this yeah. sort of stuff. And, again, I realised that I didn't have to know any of that stuff. I yeah. just need to talk about story. Mm. Um, but Frank just, like, he, he got it instantly um, in terms of what we were trying to do tonally. And um, it wasn't always easy. Sometimes, there, you know, there were cues. There's one really important cue in the in the movie that we cracked the night before we locked the mix. Like we really? were, yeah, it wow. was hectic. Wow. We were just over there, and um, you know, Rob and I were um, were there, and and Frank was recording here and what's yeah. trade track down, track down, yeah. And um, and we hadn't. It was like the and we were having these like um these kind of crisis calls with all the producers going, what's happening with Q2? What's happening with Q2? And Frank and I had tried a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. We'd, we'd tried licensing songs. We'd tried. And, um, and right at the last minute, he cracked it after doing like two all, all nighters of just like trying to yeah. solve it. So it wasn't always, it didn't always come easily. Sometimes it came really easily and it was yeah. great, but, um, I just love what he did so much. Yeah. I love the score. It's one of yeah. my favorite favorite things about the film yeah yeah was um was that something like he came up with or you came up with that kind of mishmashing of uh contemporary electronic and like classical music yeah i I guess it was a bit of both we just the the very first thing he did when i um straight after he read the script he sent me an email it was just like a massive brain dump of a whole bunch of different ideas and Mm. and it was really varied from memory i think the 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 bark on the moog synth was in there and i think um you know and then there was some sort of covers i think there was a there was a cover of a leonard of the leonard cohen song that we used but by like a really interesting icelandic singer really yeah yeah so and then there was like I don't know Benedictine monks and this and that and kind of Mr. Bungle and Mike Patton and all kinds of shit and I was just like oh okay great Frank yeah. gets it he yeah. gets it and now we just have to sort of sift through and figure sift out what works everything. because Danny Cooper and I the editor had been working with all sorts of temp music from the very mm. beginning 
and none of it was right. We always right. knew it wasn't right. And sometimes we'd land on something that felt like in the ballpark, but we, but, but we knew we wanted our score to feel as unique as the, the, yeah. the, the pitches. So, you know, we were temping with a bit of, um, it was like the weirdest mishmash of like Isle of Dogs, that display oh. score, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then we'd have sort of Jesse James, um, the Nick Cave and Warren Ellis score. And it was just like so polar opposite. Mm. Um, mm. But we knew we were, just, we were trying to kind of um, manufacture what, what would ultimately be our very particular sound for, yeah. for the thing. And Frank just got that. And um, and it was, it was a total joy to watch him kind of find the right, the right mm. sounds, the right melodies. and it, I feel like it must be actually a good thing to not get attached to your temp music because I feel like heaps of directors might chuck on like a David Bowie song or something on as their temp music and they're like, this is perfect, this is it. How, um, how yeah, are we going to get the million dollars to <laughs> I know, it's kind of it. nuts. I mean, I was yeah. really grateful that we never got very attached to any of our temp. Um, the one thing that we did get attached to was this Leonard Cohen's song after um, Who By Which Fire. Which song was it? I can't remember. Who By Fire oh, okay. is, the, is the track. So Frank had sent through this cover and it was a beautiful cover, but it just wasn't, um, uh, it just wasn't right. For, for, for the place in the movie that, that um, we talked about. And um, then Danny um, Cooper and I said, why don't we just have, have a listen to how the original sounds and we'll, we'll pop it in there and try not to get too attached to it. Mm. And it, it, it was right. It was beautiful. It worked really well. We, we sort of dropped it in and then we're like, oh, shit, maybe we should just see if there's any way in which we can afford this track and yeah. it turned out that we could which was fantastic i didn't expect we'd be able to but yeah. i imagine it'd be so heartbreaking in that situation when you really and i've 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 seen it i've seen cuts of people's films where they've got a temp track in that they just love and um and they can't get it for whatever reason whether mm. it's too expensive or they just can't license it yeah. and yeah it's really heartbreaking mm. <laughs> yeah um so coming back to what you were talking about with uh not like collaborating with people on things you don't really understand what um the sound designer robert mckenzie mm -hmm. um what was your collaboration with him like on that um it was so great it yeah. was so great i i kind of i should probably not say this publicly but fuck it you know i'm all for honesty um i found pretty much every step of this process really really traumatic and hard the shoot was <laughs> like pre was awful the yeah. shoot was just hard you know um as much as i adored working with danny the edit just felt like oh there's moments where i just thought what have we done it's i think disaster. that's everyone's first feature i think probably, probably yeah. yeah i certainly don't know that many filmmakers that, well no that's not true i actually feel like i've had conversations with filmmakers recently and i'm like oh god how it was it awful and they're like no it was great what are you talking about and i'm like oh it's just me <laughs> i had that when i was in sundance actually premiering the film i went to this one like the the, the i think the night before we screened the movie i went to this one party and i i talked to three different international filmmakers and it was all their first feature. Yeah. And I had that same conversation with all three of them. And I was like, Oh God, isn't it awful? And they're like, I had a great time. It was fantastic. What are you talking about? And so I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but, um, but I think probably you're right for the most part. It's, it, it's really mm. hard. But um, I say all this because once I find, I, I was, the whole step, every step of the process, I was like, when am I going to reach the point where this is fun? This is supposed to be fun. Yeah. I'm making a movie. Why, yeah. why isn't this fun? 
and did not at all expect that to that to happen in in sound and and um and working with Frank on the score but for me they were the most joyful kind of just really fun creative collaborations mm. i mean rob's just such a legend i love him love his whole team. I think when you finally get to that point when you're mixing and you're grading, you really do feel like everything you're doing from here on in is making it better. I mm. mean, in the edit, it's sort of, you know, three steps forward, two it. steps back or whatever, mm. however you kind of week or month pans out. Sometimes it can be awful and you think you're making it worse and sometimes you can have breakthroughs. So it's a little bit more erratic. Mm. Whereas there was this really nice just kind of um, just positive feeling when when we're working on the sound and music I just had no doubt that everything we were doing was making it better and Rob's just a good human you know yeah. not only is he exceptionally good at what he does yeah. and that's you know um that that's clear the the sort of work that he does but um he's just fun he's really easy mm. he, he's 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 funny he's mm. great person to sit with a room in a room with for yeah. hours on end and yeah. Yeah, and he 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 comes up with fantastic stuff. He can't and like all, um, all great um, people that are great at their job in this industry. He he gets story. He understands story, which yeah. is the most important thing. Yeah. So, with that kind of uh, historical looseness being so important in the film, do you remember any way that that was reflected in the soundtrack, not just the music? Um, the sound design? Uh, yeah. Um, Rob works in such like beautiful, intricate detail. Um, mm. I think all of all of that minute work, and this was stuff that I, I'd done a little bit of sound design on my shorts and, and had, um, you know, and um, um, I've worked with beautiful, wonderful, equally talented Sam Petty on, on my shorts and, and really enjoyed that part of the process on the shorts as well. Mm -hmm. Um, on a feature, you have, um, more time, you have more money, you just have more of all of that. So I was really kind of astonished at the level of detail that we got into. Um, you know, we had a lot of, there's a lot of sort of crowd stuff in the movie. So we did some really, we did a loop group, which I'd never done before, which mm. was a really fun yeah. process, yeah. Um, which was just kind of nuts and, and, and really like the, the work that Rob and his team um, did, uh, Leah Katz um, especially, and, and Tara Webb to, to build out the sort of fullness of the sound was, was, um, it was really wonderful thing to watch and listen to because I hadn't, I, I, I'd never, I'd sat in mixes before with, mm. with, with friends um, and um, always been amazed at how much you can do. But mm. yeah, it was really, it was part of the process that was really enjoyable for me. Did that answer your question? I yeah, forgot what your question yeah. is now. <laughs> <laughs> totally did, yeah. Yeah, okay. And something I forgot to ask earlier actually is um, you mentioned about how you kind of got into directing because... Um, uh, you weren't completely happy with the opportunities that acting presented you. Yeah. Do you think in the future you're ever going to act in your own work? I won't act in my own work because I just can't imagine a scenario where I could make that happen, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could. Yeah. I'm just not that kind of actor or director. Um, mm. I, I feel like they're basically... 
what's required of me on set is is almost polar opposite um, when I'm working as a director versus um, being on set as an actor mm. and I just can't imagine combining those two things I mean for the one for for, for, for one thing I'm too vain like I can't <laughs> I can never watch playback when I'm on set as an actor I don't want yeah, to it's not yeah, productive right. for me it mm. just makes me worry about my hair and stuff <laughs> and my wrinkles you know uh, so that would just um, be painful for everybody on mm. the set to watch me try and straddle those two yeah. roles so unfortunately I couldn't direct myself um, but I still want to I really still want to keep acting I really enjoy it I okay. want him you know I've, I guess like what um, this new career has afforded me is being able to be a bit more selective um, yeah. there was a period in time where I just had to work so sometimes I'd be taking acting jobs that I didn't really love and mm. Taking acting jobs that you don't love is really hard. Being yeah. on something that you yeah. don't love because it's just so exposing. You feel mm. so vulnerable and so responsible for. Mm. I mean, you feel really responsible as a writer director as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, so I can be a bit more selective, which is nice. But um, yeah. I, I really want to keep acting. I love it. I, I actually think it's like the greatest in a lot of ways, the easiest, yeah. but sort of hardest. But but just joyful yeah. jobs on yeah. set. Like yeah. it's really joyful and fun yeah 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 it always seems fun when yeah. i'm watching them yeah from afar it yeah. is it is and that's what i've done for the longest it's the only thing i've kind of trained in so i just i hope that i can continue to do it um but we'll see yeah yeah <laughs> well what projects do you have lined up where where are you going from here well, I, I'm working on a couple of um, features, one that one that I've written myself and one that um, I'm sort of developing with another writer. Mm. Uh, and I really want to make another film um, mm. and I want to make one soon so I don't forget everything I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's hard, you know, getting films up any time is difficult. Yeah. I feel like right now it feels especially hard. And the whole nature of the sort of industry feels like it's changing. The yeah. nature of how things are watched and funded and all yeah. of that is changing. So just just trying to kind of um, keep keep pushing the projects that are interesting to me. And, you know, I kind of promised myself that after um, this one, I, I wouldn't just jump into something um, mm. for the sake of working. Um, I'm, uh, I just wanted to really make the right decisions about what to do next. Um, mm. so I'm trying to be selective, but at the same time as the kind of clock ticks and you realize you haven't been on set for a really long time, it starts yeah. to feel a bit scary. Yeah. I'm like, should I just need to work? <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm open to lots of different things. I mean, I'd like to direct a bit of TV as well, but, mm. um, but again, I'd like to just be able to um, be selective about what that is. And mm. hopefully I'll make another film um, soon. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Was there anything that you think you learned from Judy and Punch that you're going to carry on to your next film? Oh, like every single thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of crazy how much um, I thought I knew. I thought I knew quite a bit. And I thought I was pretty... Um, across how difficult it would be because I'm really close to a lot of directors and I do spend a lot of time on their sets like David's films I've been I've been around that the all of those from from the beginning of the writing development right through to you know um to them being finished and always sat through cuts of um of you know Joel Nash David's films all of that blue tongue gang I feel like I was I was I'd, I'd watched my friends go through it and um I felt um pretty you know, pretty um, ready for what was mm. uh, in front of me. And turns out that you're kind of never really ready for it. Yeah. Uh, and I just felt like I was learning every day. And I think you kind of never stop. But I hope 
it won't be as hard again ever. Yeah. I don't think it will be. Yeah. I think, and it's just like, sometimes it's just psychologically, like you just, I'm, I'm, you're doing it all for the first time. You don't know why anyone would trust you. You don't trust yourself. You don't have any um, notion of whether or not you can actually physically get through it. Mm. And then when you've just done one, it's like, okay, well, I know I'm not, I'm not going to die. So <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? I make a bad film. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I sort of feel like the next one won't, won't, I, I hope it won't be as, as difficult. Mm. I've learned so much and I just want to make sure I don't forget it. I've got a really terrible memory. So yeah. I'm just, I'm constantly like, got to get back on set, got to solidify all that yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. you know, but I'm sure it's, it's in there somewhere. Um, so yeah, hopefully I get another chance to put into practice and try and fix all the mistakes I made. Cause it's, <laughs> you get fixated on that, you know, yeah. all the things you wish you had have done differently, yeah. all the coverage that you kind of yeah. think you could have done a better job of or the better, better directions you could have given your mm-hmm. actors or the, you know, the solutions to problems with the script that you should have solved two years ago that you just never solved. Like I get fixated on the things that, yeah. that, that I didn't do right. Um, mm. So I don't know if that's healthy or not. It's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel yeah. like a lot of directors must do that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Mm. I look forward to a time where I can, um, where I can watch my work and just feel really kind of like not be racked with the, like the, just the pain of the mistakes. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they'll ever come. I mean, I maybe and maybe you find a, like a happy balance or something. Mm. But I really would love to to reach a point. I couldn't. I I always found it really difficult to watch my shorts with an audience. I just mm. felt, found it horrible. It was crippling. I just made me feel sick and. Um, and then I was always thinking, oh, when I make a feature, it won't feel that way. It'll be really fun <laughs> and exciting. And it still it feels that way. I mean, I've never felt so terrified as when I first screened the movie at Sundance. It was yeah. like the worst day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> All I wanted to do was just run away. Um, but yeah, I do. To be look- honest, Mira, I'm finding... Uh, I'm finding it hard to be sympathetic for someone who had their film at Sundance. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but you try to embrace it and you're like, this is great. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it's here because someone liked it. Yeah. So at least one person in the world likes it. I yeah. mean, you know, they didn't program it out of sympathy, but still that kind of inner ki- kind of voice is going, this is a piece of shit. Why? <laughs> what made you think this was a good idea? You know, it's horrible. And even yeah. when the audience, when you're sitting there around amongst an audience and they're laughing and responding in all the right ways and like the Sundance screening was one of the best screenings that that um I think we ever had it was really vocal it felt fun it felt really and I still was kind of clutching David's hand the whole way through going I'm pretty sure they hate it I'm pretty sure they hate it it's just like a weird like um I don't know it's it's nuts it's crazy that kind of inner critic that just you know, and the the scene that I hate the most is coming up and oh my god this is gonna be the scene that loses them and everyone's gonna you know I look forward to a time where I can be slightly kind of less critical of my work. But I also did, I felt that as an actor the whole way through as well. So maybe yeah. that's just a, I don't know, maybe there's just a process of being human and, and getting better at it as you get older or not, or mm. choosing just to get better at it, yeah. get over yourself. It's not, yeah. we're not curing cancer. Just enjoy <laughs> it. You know? Yeah, that's it. You just have to enjoy it, don't you? Yeah, just yeah. Have to learn I think to you have it. to learn too. Yeah. Mm. And I think that, I think that will get easier. Yeah. yeah. But Mira, I think that's everything I have to ask. So thank you so much for coming on. It was very nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Yeah, thanks for having me in. Thanks again so much to Mira for coming on the podcast. Again, thanks to Jean-David Legolon for 
the music and sound design, and thanks to Jordan S. Benjamin on this one for the couple of little uh, flicks, pictures he took. Uh, anyway, um, I'll catch you guys again soon. Have a good one.